Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise, and it's Monday. It's the beginning of a brand new week. Yes, I know COVID-19 is still around. Yes, I know there's lots of inconveniences, but this is the day that the Lord has made. We will. We make a choice to rejoice and be glad in it. Now, maybe I'm just happy because we got to have services all weekend, and I got to see so many of you, and you got to experience the presence of God, and it is different when we come together. Diba? All right. In just a moment, we're going to get into a beautiful time of prayer and some great passages back in Second Chronicles and in Acts chapter 26. But let's start with our foundation during this whole COVID-19 thing, Psalms 91. Psalms 91, English Standard Version. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the stare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is the shield and the buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you they will they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast in your love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalms 91, English Standard Version. As we start this week, I want us to remember to continue to pray for all of the frontliners. I mean, maybe because I get so many text messages from our families who have children that are doctors and nurses and they're working in frontline areas. Folks, let's just keep praying for them. I mean, it's, it's, it's just not easy. Father, we come to you today. We lift you all of the doctors, all of the nurses, all of the med techs, all of the orderlies, all of the people that work so hard in the hospitals. Father, we hear of the hospitals in taboo nearing complete capacity. Father, these are difficult days, and there's just no rest. There's just no sleep. I ask that you keep your hand upon them, Father. I ask that you give them wisdom. I ask that you guide them so that, Lord, even in their tiredness, they don't make mistakes and endanger others or endanger themselves. I ask that you restore their souls, Father, as they continue to see things that are the things of nightmares, that you restore the souls, especially of the young doctors, Lord, the young nurses. Some of them, Lord... They would have gone years without having a patient dying, and now they see patients die all around them, and it's so discouraging. They didn't come into all this, Lord, to watch people die. They came into this to help people live. I ask that you give them wisdom, and give them understanding, give them insight beyond their experience and beyond their ability, and let your grace flow to their lives. Father, we pray for all of the businesses, small and large, among our people today. Bless the work of their hands. Father, we realize this thing is going to last a while. 
We ask that you just help us to settle in and settle in with a plan that will continue to earn and provide for our family. When this thing ends, Lord, we want every family to be ahead and not behind. Give all of our businessmen and businesswomen, small and large, wisdom and understanding. Father, let them begin to see good decisions. Let them be able to know deals to make and deals to walk away from. Let them have patience to wait for the God opportunities and pass up just the good opportunities and give them the wisdom to do so and the, the guidance to know the difference. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you give each of them wisdom in how to cut expenses as well as increase the income. Father, for every family, we're asking for this to be a time of great transfer of wealth for land and properties, for homes and buildings and condos. Let this be a great time for our people to see wealth transfer. Some that had given up hopes of ever being able to buy land because they couldn't keep up with the, the costs raised by the foreigners that come into the country. Father, let now the prices of those condos come down. As the pogos begin to leave and the prices begin to drop, let that wealth transfer to your sons and daughters, Father. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.
well, we had a great service last weekend, and let me encourage you to get registered for the services again this weekend. We're not taking anything away. We'll still be doing morning devotions. We'll still be doing the nightly services with First Corinthians. Uh, but we're going to start up the services, and as many people as that let us have, we'll have. But please remember to keep all of the rules and regulations, the foot bath, the hand washings, the, the social distancing, wearing the mask. Please, let's keep all of this. Let's do everything properly in Jesus' name. All right, so please call your pastor, call your campus pastor, your district pastor, and get signed up for the services for next weekend. And when you sign up, please make sure you're here because sometimes we have to say we can't put any more in that service. So if you don't show up, then you've taken something away from somebody else. So we want you to be there, but please be faithful and disciplined and keep your promises. Amen? All right, we got a great testimony for you. Hi, this is Mariah of Senior Moments, and I would like to thank the Lord for what He has done for me. First, I would like to thank Him for the continuous work. I work as a camp manager for a virtual assistant company, and in spite of this pandemic, thank God for the continuous operation of our company. And in my time zone alone, I had 31 client renewals and 7 signups. Secondly, I would like to thank him for the permanent work from home. Thirdly, I would like to thank him for the profit sharing. Last April, I didn't expect anymore that I will receive the profit sharing, but to my surprise, I received it higher than what I have uh, received last quarter. And lastly, I would like to thank him for the healing during the online service. Sister Bev talked about the visitation of Jesus. And I asked the Lord for more of his visitation. And true enough, his visitation made me heal. And I was healed from anxiety attack and high blood pressure. I just want to share this uh, verse from 3rd John 2. I personalized it. It says, I pray that I may enjoy good health and all may go well with me, even as my soul is getting along well. God is not just concerned about the food that we're going to eat or the clothes that we're going to wear or the place we're going to live, but he is concerned with everything. God bless. Our New Testament passage today picks up in Acts chapter 26. Now, Paul is being held in a golden prison cell, but still a prison cell there in Caesarea, right there on the Mediterranean Sea. It's very beautiful. The air is beautiful. Hearing the waves crash, it would have been a nice time for Paul to rest after all that he had been through. However, there was not just rest. Uh, first, he'd been left there by Felix. Felix decided to do a favor, had left him for Festus. Now, Festus doesn't know what to do with him. He's the new governor. And so finally, King Agrippa comes to town. Now, King Agrippa uh, for the purpose of Israel, he basically ruled the Tiberias and southern Galilee area. Um, he did a lot of work fixing up Jerusalem, and he was extremely close to the Jewish historian by the name of Josephus. In fact, Josephus even kept several of the letters that King Agrippa had written. So King Agrippa is there along with his sister, Bernice. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. He said, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. All the accusations. And he said, I consider this fortunate. Now, why did he consider that fortunate? He said, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jew. Now, Paul understood King Agrippa is not a neophyte. He's not somebody who's going to get fooled 
by the Sanhedrin. He's not somebody who's going to get fooled by uh, the high priest. In fact, at one point, now not at this point, but a little earlier than this, uh, it was King Agrippa and his father who chose who would be the high priest. So this is not a guy who's going to be easily fooled. He, he knows the Jewish people well. He knows all of their customs. He knows all of their fights. He said, therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, here's one thing he needed. He needed patience. Now, Paul recognized that many of these rulers that have a lot of brains, they're very wise, but in order to make his case, he needed patience. So one of the things that you have to learn is to ask. When you need somebody to be patient with you, please ask them to be patient. Many times we expect people to be patient with us, but we never ask. If you expect patience, if you need patience, ask people for patience. Have you ever been pulled over by a policeman and you ask him for patience? Yeah, that's what we're talking about. People who are pushed and rust and people who have a lot of pressure upon them, sometimes you need to ask for patience. It's a good thing to learn. He said, my manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation, this would be up in Cilicia, and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. He said, everybody knows me. He said, I'm known. He said, I'm known by all the Jews. He said, everybody knows my background. See, Paul had been famous as a Jew. This is probably why Paul's nephew was still very much involved in what was going on with controversies within the Sanhedrin. Paul probably comes from a very famous family. He said, everybody knows me from my youth, both in Cilicia and then in Jerusalem. Everything is known by all the Jews. Paul, Paul is not a nobody. He said, they have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. He said, now, you know, if they want to come up and tell the truth, they'll tell you this. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise God made by God to our fathers. Now that hope is the hope of the resurrection. Now whenever I write resurrection, I do it like that. Whenever you see me write kingdom, I write it like that, all right? Because of my hope in the promise. Now that promise is the resurrection made by God to our fathers. So the hope of the resurrection is not something new to which our 12 tribes hope to attain. Now, at this time, Paul still says there's 12 tribes of Israel. Maybe they have been scattered around the world, but there were still 12 tribes of Israel. As they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead. Now, now, this is the hope, the hope of the resurrection. He said, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Now, again, remember, this man would have been intimately acquainted with the Hasmonean dynasty, the, the, the Sadducees, but he also knew the Pharisees very well. So Paul said, why is it thought incredible by any of you, including you? Because probably King Agrippa spent more time with the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection because they were of noble blood and they were the people who were part of the, the ruling class. He said, why, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? <laughs> 
I would look at people and say the same thing today. Why, why are there so many people who believe that at death everything ends? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus, of Nazareth. So Paul said, there was a time that I was convinced in the wrong way. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, these guys that you appointed, but when they were put to death, I cast my, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Ah, now this is going to be Stephen and others. Now notice, when they. So there's not just one person that Paul cast his vote. Now, you often hear me say that I thought Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. Cast my vote against them. The Sanhedrin voted. The other people didn't vote. The Sanhedrin voted to put these men to death. So Paul is a member of the Sanhedrin and said, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. Now notice, Paul tried to make them blaspheme God. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission of the chief priests. So he said, listen, I worked for these guys. I worked for these guys, these guys that you appointed. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, we have to back up here for a minute. First of all, we have an experience. Let me make that a little bigger for you. We have an experience in the glory and the effect. All fall down. Now, again, I don't like the word slain in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't slay anybody. But I do believe that when the presence of God comes down on people, they are overcome and they fall down. Not just Christians. Just like in the garden, Jesus said, I am he. And they all were on their faces. But I want you to notice, Jesus said, you're persecuting me. Now, yes, he'd voted for Jesus' death. Yes, he'd been there in the Sanhedrin court. But this is far bigger than that. I want you to notice Jesus identifies with the persecuted Christian. Let's call it persecuted believer. Jesus identifies with the persecuted believer. Now, sometimes you and I think that Jesus only identifies with the... Um, elite, the celebrity preachers, the celebrity Christians. But no, Jesus is identifying with the persecuted believer. And then notice how he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. This shows us Paul's inner struggle. Now, you need to understand what a goad is. It's what you, you stick a mule with to keep it going. It's like a, a sharp stick or a sh with an iron tip on it, and you, you stick it to get it moving, or you, you hit it on the butt to get it moving. There are things that God was doing in Paul's life that was just getting him every day. And I believe it began 
even before the crucifixion of the Savior. See, God didn't just make up this will for Paul one day. I believe that God had been working on Paul's heart a long time. I wonder how many dreams he had of watching Jesus before the Sanhedrin. I wonder how many times he had dreams where he had seen Jesus preach in the temple courts. I wonder how many times he remembered Stephen saying, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I wonder how many experiences, I wonder how many sweet little old Christian ladies walked up to Paul and said, Jesus loves you. He was kicking against the goads. Now, these goads, you, you stick them into a donkey's butt to make him move, but oftentimes they would kick against it because it hurts a little bit. So this shows us something going on in Paul's heart. Paul is fighting against salvation. Now, let me say that again. Paul is fighting against salvation. He's, he's pushing back against all this grace. He's pushing back against all these encounters that he's having with God. He, he's, he's kicking against it. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So again, twice we see Jesus identifies with the persecuted believer. But rise up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. To, number one, appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things which you have seen in me and to those which you, in which I will appear to you. So, all right, I'm appointing you as a servant and a witness to the things you have seen in me and to those in which I will appear to you. So this is a very large truth. All right, here's the purpose. Purpose is twofold. Servant, witness, and then the witness is twofold, seen and will see. This is a huge concept. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. So, all right, he is already now sent to the Gentiles. To open their eyes. Purpose. So that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. All right, so the twofold purpose. The great stuff here. Twofold purpose of opened eyes. Turn from darkness to light and turn from the power of Satan to God. And then the effect that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by their faith in me. So twofold purpose of open eyes and then two effects, number one, forgiveness of sins, and number two, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, and here's one of the key concepts of Paul's life, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He's a King Agrippa. This is how I have lived my life. Now, you have to understand, Paul is speaking about 30 years of ministry at this point. He said, now, I've been doing this for 30 years. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He said, instead, I declared first to those who were in Damascus, 
then Jerusalem, then throughout the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles. All right, so Paul's focus had been Damascus, where he first got saved, Jerusalem, where he was living, the region of Judea, right around there, and number four, to the Gentiles. Now, this is something every one of you needs to get a hold of. When you first get saved, you need to immediately tell people right around you where you got saved about Jesus. And then you need to go back to where you spend most of your time and where you live and tell people about Jesus, okay? Evangelism starts where you're saved. So I like to put that note out there. Evangelism starts where you get saved. Well, you know, when I go back to Jerusalem, I'll do something. No, evangelism starts right now. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Now, what is that reason? This reason. Because I've started preaching Jesus. To this day, I've had help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying to both small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. So he said, this is no new message. King Agrippa, you know this very well. You've studied the Jews most of your life. You know this is no new message. That Christ, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So, salvation for Jew and Gentile. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Now notice this is Festus talking. Festus is the new guy. Festus doesn't have a clue about the Jews. Festus knows almost nothing about Christianity and what had happened 30 years before. But Agrippa knows all of this. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. I'm speaking true and rational words. Two types of words. True and rational words. For the king knows about these things. Ah. And to him, I speak boldly. He said, hey, the king knows all this stuff. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this was not done in a corner. So King Agrippa knows all this. Festus, he's the new guy. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. King Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Now, this is, this is a fascinating choice of words. Because King Agrippa, um, he held that northern area of uh, uh, Israel and on up into Syria and Damascus where all of these things had occurred. So King Agrippa knew all of this. And King Agrippa knew that they were called Christians in most of his territory. Now, in Jerusalem, they're called the way. But it's interesting. King Agrippa refers to them as Christians. He reveals his knowledge. Now, that's really important, folks. King Agrippa reveals that he knows all about these things. He doesn't call them the people of the way. He calls them Christians, which, 
Antioch of Assyria, the areas around there, a lot of his territory that he ruled over, Christian churches have been growing for 30 years. Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for these chains. He said, yeah, I want you to become like me. I want you to be a Christian. Then the king arose, and the governor, and Bernice. Now, Bernice is the sister of King Agrippa. And those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. All right, so he is innocent. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Now, some people like to think that Paul made a mistake in the appeal to Caesar. But this was Paul's decision. Now, Paul's decision knew that once, once a Roman citizen appeals to Caesar, he will go to Caesar. So Paul knew, I'm going to go to Rome. Jesus said, I'm going to preach in Rome. So even if I get to Rome because they take me there in shackles, I'm in Rome. So Paul made a decision. He made a decision of, okay, if I make this appeal, they can't find me innocent. It has to go to Caesar. So he, he understood this. It was a, a calculated decision that he made. But he made that decision understanding that Caesar is in Rome, and at least God's will would be fulfilled and he would be in Rome. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our Old Testament passage today picks up in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions. So her purpose was to test Solomon with hard questions. She'd heard of this guy's fame. Having a very great retinue and camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. Okay, this lady says, Solomon, I'm going to tell you exactly what I want to hear about. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from Solomon that he could not explain to her. Now, look at that word hidden. Hidden by who? Revealed by who? This is God. God made sure that Solomon had the wisdom to talk to this lady. When the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, number one, the house that he had built, number two, the food at his table, number three, the seating of his officials, number four, the attendance of his servant, number five, their clothing, number six, his cupbearers, number seven, their clothing, number eight, his burnt offerings, number nine, that he offered at the house of God, there was no more breath in her. She is impressed. Now notice what impresses this woman. Not just his wisdom, not just his wealth, not just what he eats. Notice what also impressed her was how he took care of the people who worked for him, their clothing. So notice, she was not just impressed by wealth, though she was impressed by wealth. She was also impressed by how he treated people. And she was impressed by how he gave to God. Wow. <laughs> now, some of you businessmen, can I ask you a question? Are people just impressed by your wealth? Or are they impressed by how you treat your employees? Well, you know, Pastor Samuel, my people, I'm just, you know, five months and they're gone. I don't want, I don't want any relationship with them. Well, Solomon didn't treat people like that. Was he impressed by how he treated the people that worked for him? How he took good care of them? Was it, are people impressed by how you give to God? Do they sit back and say, would you look at how this guy gives to God? Wow. She said to the king, the report was true that I heard with my own land of your words and your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You surpassed the report that I have heard. All right. I like this. Underreport, overperform. <laughs> That's how you impress people. Underreport, over, over. Happy are your wives. Now, eh, that's one of Solomon's problems, all right? Happy are your servants. Now, that's good. Who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Because the Lord, because your God loved Israel and would establish them forever, 
He made you king over them, that you may execute justice and righteousness. All right. So God gave a wise king because he loved the people. (laughs) Now, sometimes leaders, forgive me, no disrespect to your ability, but sometimes God gives you to people because he loves them. He doesn't give the people to you. He gives you as the leader to people because he loves them. Then she gave the king a hundred talents of gold, 120 talents of gold, a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. There were no such spices such as those that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the servants of Hiram and the servants of Solomon who brought gold from Ophar brought algam wood and precious stones. Now this algam wood is a very beautiful and a very, very hard wood. This is, this is, I mean, olive wood is beautiful, but it's not that hard. Sycamore tree wood is beautiful, but it's not that hard. Algam wood is like a super hard wood and very, very rare, and very, very expensive. And the king made from the algam wood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house. Now that's beautiful. Notice his first use. His first use of something precious supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house. And notice also lyres and harps for the singers. He made musical instruments that would last a very, very long time. Never was seen the like of them before in the land of Judah. So these were, these were very rare and precious. And King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all that she had desired whatever she asked besides what she had brought to the king. So she turned and went back to her own land with the servants. So notice, the giving went two ways. Why? There's no debt of the heart. There's no utang lang la'o. When people give to you, you should also give to them. The giving always needs to be bidirectional. Now the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Besides that which the explorers and merchants brought and all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of beaten gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. 300 shekels of gold went into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. The king also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps, so you had to go up six steps to get to the seat, and a footstool of gold, which was attached to the throne. Okay, he could sit back and put his feet up. Pretty cool. And on each side of the, of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests. So let me finish reading and then I'll describe it to you. While twelve lions stood there, one on each of the step of the six steps, nothing like it was ever made for any kingdom. Uh, so this is unique. Now, I want you to consider a solid carved ivory throne. Stairs going up. Everything's covered in gold. On each step are two small lions. Then there's one single seat at the top with a footstool to put your feet armrests, and on each side of the armrests are two giant carved lions, the lion throne. Now to me, that must have been really cool to see. All of Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, 
and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. Now notice, wealth for all. This was not a despot dictator who took everything for himself. The Everybody, an entire generation came up into wealth. So silver wasn't considered as anything. I mean, he brought a nation in one generation into wealth. Now, the closest thing that we have seen in modern history would be how Singapore came from a malaria-ridden swamp to one of the richest cities per capita in the world in one generation. But this is far more than that. I got news for you. Silver is still considered precious in Singapore. So this is far beyond that. An entire generation of a nation came into great wealth. It's, it's, it wasn't a despot dictator who took everything for himself. For the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Once every three years, the ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom, which is exactly what God said. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his mind. All right, now this, you've got to, hit, got to get hold of this. Don't just think, look at the audience. The source of wisdom, God. God put the wisdom and the receptacle, the mind. Now, you, you just need to get a hold of that. Your mind is the receptacle of wisdom. So don't think that God bypasses the human brain, okay? He gave all of that wisdom to Solomon, and he put it into Solomon's mind. God will give you thoughts. Every one of them brought his presence, articles of silver, gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. And Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots, 12,000 for horsemen, whom he stationed in chariot cities. And with the king of Jer and with the king in Jerusalem, now one of those chariot cities is Megiddo. We go there every year and we see the beautiful uh, excavations of the chariot, uh, chariots and horses, the stables. And he ruled over all the kings, so he ruled over more than Israel, all the kings from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as sycamore of the Shephelah. Okay. Wealth for all. See, to me, a man is not great if only he prospers. He must bring wealth to all. And horses were imported for Solomon from Egypt and from all lands. Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon, from first to last, are they not written in the history of Nathan the prophet, and in the prophecy of Ahijah the Shilonite, and in the visions of Edo the seer? So Nathan the prophet we know about, and Ahijah the Shilonite, and the visions of Edo the seer, concerning Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over Israel forty years. Solomon slept with his fathers, and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. Now we get into chapter 10, verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. As soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, 
Then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. So always notice times of transition. Enemies return. Now here's something that you just need to get a hold of. Anytime you see a time of transition, enemies return. And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. So, all right, notice, these people were wealthy, but worked hard. Now, one of the things that you need to get a hold of is that when people get wealthy and they're working hard, at some point there is a desire to enjoy the wealth. And there was no opportunity to enjoy the wealth under Solomon. Solomon was always pushing to get things done. Your father made our hokia heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. Okay, hey, we'll, we'll follow you, we'll serve you, just like we did your dad. He said to them, come to me again in three days, so the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? All right. Now, folks, get an understanding of this. These men advised the wisest man to ever live. Now, I think I'd listen to these guys, Diba. And they said to him, it would be good to the, if you will be good to this people, be good to them, please them, speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. Now notice, stood before his father, Look at this phrase, stood before, stood before. There's a difference who you stand before. There's a difference in who you stand before. Now, do you stand before a young kid and advise a young kid? Or do you stand before the wisest man that ever lived? There's a difference in who a man stands before. A lot of times when I have to make decisions, I ask myself the question, when people are talking to me. Who do these people stand before? Who listens to them? Who listens to them? And he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me? Now notice, what do you advise that we answer? How do you advise me? Notice the difference between the we and the me. So this guy was including inclusive, and this is pushing away. He's pushing away the previous generation, and he's being inclusive with the new generation. Notice again the me. Whoops. The me and the we. That's a very important truth to notice. That this people have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us. 
And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus you shall speak to the people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lightened it for us. Thus you shall say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid down you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Now, a scorpion is a special type of whip. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day. And the king said, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered them harshly, forsaking the counsel of the old men. Young people, please listen to people who have experience. Don't listen to people who are good at presenting themselves. You know, sometimes you look at these guys, and please don't get mad at me, but you listen to these guys on Facebook, and you listen to these guys on TED Talk, and, and you know, what have they ever done with their life? But they're young, and they're flashy, and they're a good presenter, and they have charisma. These old men, maybe they didn't look cool. Maybe they weren't wearing Nike tennis shoes. But they stood before the wisest man that ever lived. And Rehoboam, King Rehoboam spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For it was the turn of affairs brought about by God that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam the son of Nebat. This goes way back to some of our earlier reading. And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Each of you to his own tents. O Israel, look now to your own house, David. So all Israel went to their tents. Now notice, the only reason they could do this is they were wealthy. This is a response of wealth. They didn't need the king. These people were all wealthy. They didn't need anything from the king. The only reason they can act like this is because they had grown so wealthy under Solomon. But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Doram, who is taskmaster over forced labor, and the people of Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam quickly mounted his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. Yeah, he, he ran home. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day, and really even to today. Chapter 11, verse 1. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled the house of Judah and Benjamin, two tribes, okay, one tribe, two tribes, 180,000 chosen warriors to fight against Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all Israel in Judah and Benjamin. So this was a word for the king and for the people. Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up to fight against your relatives. Return every man to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and returned and did not go up against Jeroboam. We'll see you tonight at 7 p.m.